We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast to bring you Listen, Watch, Discuss. Enjoy the show. I forgot to add this uh, in my review, so I'm just going to tack this little clip uh, right before the review. But I love um, how if you look at the cover for Abbey Road, you'll notice that Paul's the only one barefoot and beardless. And I love, and I feel like uh, given how, you know, the guys had a good sense of humor um, and how they kind of like to play jokes on each other, I feel like given their sense of humor, they purposely told Paul to show up to the album cover photo shoot barefoot and beardless, uh, just to make him feel kind of silly, you know, but, um, anyway, just something I noticed after having looked at the album cover a few times, I'm like, oh yeah, he is beard, beardless and barefoot. So anyway, uh, with that out of the way, uh, let's get to the review. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Listen, watch, discuss. As always, I'm your host, Bryn Aiken. And on tonight's episode, I will be reviewing the Beatles 11th album, Abbey Road. So, um, I love this album. It's one of my favorites of all time. Not, not just, um, you know, in terms of, uh, the Beatles discography, but in terms of like albums in general, it's one of my favorites. And, uh, I love it so much. I actually have a tapestry of it hanging in my, uh, room. And, um, it was a Christmas present from my stepbrother and his wife. So, um, if you guys ever listen to this episode, I appreciate it. Uh, but if not, you know, I still appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so pretty sure everyone who's anyone knows, uh, the history of the Beatles and knows, you know, each one knows who they are, you know, at least the bare, you know, the, the minimum, you know, the bare minimum, at least the bare information that everyone knows. But, um, but I do, every time I talk about a new musical artist or new band on my podcast, I like to at least give a little brief description of, the band and, you know, who was in it and what they did and, um, where they're at now, you know, so, so, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and do it for tradition's sake. So, <laughs> so the Beatles, uh, formed in 1957 in Liverpool, England, uh, and they were originally called the Quarrymen, uh, until a few years later in 1960 when they changed their name to the Beatles. Uh, so, so, uh, basically, each Beatle, uh, had their moment to shine. Like they, cause you know how some, some bands like, you know, they will be a front man, the drummer, the bassist, the guitarist, you know, like they'll all be a part of the band, but you know, some, some of them will probably have a little bit more focus than others. Like the lead singer or the front man would have a little bit more focus, you know, because he's the one. And, and especially if, uh, if they uh, play guitar as well, they'll, they'll most likely have more focus than the drummer or the bassist. Um, you know, I mean, not, not saying that, you know, they won't all get, you know, their time to shine, you know, but, uh, but that's usually how it is with bands. But in the Beatles case, all four of the the Beatles had their time to shine. They all had a good amount of focus on each single one of them. And, and they all, um, and they all even some, uh, it was mostly John, Paul and George, but Ringo sung every so often. Um, so, you know, so even, even Ringo, got his moment to shine in terms of singing on some of the songs. But, uh, but yeah, basically the members of the band, uh, there were a few that they had before these four, but these are the core four, the ones that everyone knows. Um, John Lennon, who played the rhythm guitar and was also, uh, you know, was a lead vocalist. He was, uh, a singer. Uh, Paul McCartney, who played the bass guitar and he was the bassist and he also, son on several of the songs. George Harrison, who played the lead guitar and was also uh, a singer as well, who also sung on some of their songs. And Ringo Starr, who played the percussion and drums and, again, also sung on a lot of their songs. Uh, again, not, not, as, not so much, uh, not as often as John, Paul, and George, but, you know, he still, like I said, had his time in the spotlight to sing, so... Uh, so with that out of the way, oh yeah, and so yeah, so they, you know, for the pet, for, from 1960 all the way to 1970, the Beatles blew up, I mean, not just in Liverpool, England, you know, their home, but also in America, you know, when they came over in 1960, you know, uh, especially, especially young teenage girls, they went crazy, 
over them because, you know, because, uh, you know, they sounded really good and they were, they were arguably the first boy band of the, of, uh, they, they were kind of, except, uh, they were actually good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's a cheap shot. But, but no, I mean, they're, cause they're, I mean, some, some songs from boy bands now are, are good, but they were, they were arguably the ones with the most talent because they were, they kind of were the first, in a way, the first boy band, you know? Um, but yeah, girls loved them. Everyone who watched the Ed Sullivan show went nuts when they, when, uh, during their first performance. And, um, and yeah, and they, and they had a successful 10, lo- 10 year long career, a decade long career, uh, and released, uh, I believe, yeah, 13 albums and, and not just, but what was crazy is that their first album they released in 1963. So not only did they have a decade long career in music, but they released, but in only seven years of that 10 years of their career, did they release, they released 13 albums, which is crazy considering that some artists take three to four years to release one album. And then, you know, have to wait another three or four years. But with them, it was like hit after hit after hit album, you know? And, um, and, you know, and, and their first few albums, uh, you know, were were I mean, a lot of the, a lot of them had some covers from fifties, uh, you know, love songs and and songs of that nature, but uh, it was later, uh, you know, like their first, I, I believe, four or five albums uh, had, you know, I mean, they they still sounded good, but uh, it wasn't until Rubber Soul, their sixth album, uh, in nineteen sixty five, where they started getting a little bit more experimental with their sound, like incorporating a bit, a bit of an Eastern and Ori- Oriental influence, like, you know, adding the flute and the sitar, playing the instruments backwards, like playing the audio backwards. Um, and really just going, getting all, going all out with like, uh, some, some of the lyrics in some of the songs just were like crazy and, and didn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, uh, not all of them, but like some of them, like, uh, the I Am the Walrus in Magical Mystery Tour, which was a response by the Beatles, uh, for the critics saying, "Oh yeah, your lyrics are so, you you know your lyrics are so um, deep and meaningful, you know." And so in response to that, they they decided to write a song like, "Well, what if we just wrote a song that was just a bunch of random bullshit, <laughs> you know, like just a bunch of random, nonsensical phrases that don't really connect to each other, and just you know put a catchy melody with it, and you know." people like it, you know, I mean, they put effort into it clearly because a lot of people love that song, but, uh, but you know, it was just a response to like, oh yeah, well, let's just make a song that doesn't really have anything to do with anything and is about nothing really and makes no sense like whatsoever. Uh, so, you know, so, so yeah, so it was their first five albums, you know, like I said, fifties covers, a lot of fifties covers, and then a lot of, you know, just kind of standard classic still good you know but standard and classic rock and roll and then rubber soul and onward was where they started going a little you know branching out and experimenting with new genres of rock and roll and you know adding new instruments and you know like i said playing audio backwards you know playing the uh audio of the instruments backwards um so you know uh but yeah so in 1969 they released their second to last album, their penultimate album, Abbey Road. And it was actually interesting, interestingly enough, it was actually their, uh, technically it was their last album in terms of when they recorded it, but it was released before Let It Be, which was their last album. But, um, but yeah, so with that out of the way, uh, let's get on to talking about the album. So, we start off with um, the first song, which a lot of people love, a lot of people know, uh, Come Together. And uh, it was basically about, it was a song John originally wrote for Timothy Leary's California, uh, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Juber National, Notorial, I'm probably butchering this. It was, <laughs> it was for Timothy Leary's California campaign against Ronald Reagan, um, and a rough a rough version of the lyrics for the song were written at Lennon John Lennon and his wife Yoko Ono's second bed-in event in Montreal. Um, so 
interesting fact there. But uh, the Beatles author Jonathan Gould suggested that the song had only a single pariah-like protagonist, and Lennon and John was just painting another sardonic self-portrait. Um, but yeah, and, and he also suggested that the Juju eyeballs line, where he's like, he's got Juju eyeballs, was, uh, he claimed that was referring to Dr. John, um, Malcolm John Rebenach Jr., um, who was a famous, uh, you better know by his stage name, Dr. John, he was an American singer and songwriter, and Spinal Cracker was referring to his wife, uh, Yoko, Yoko Ono, so, uh, but anyway, so, but yeah, the song, it's a great way to start off the album, uh, tons of people know this song, or a lot, you know, this one of their more famous songs, and, um, and again, it, uh, the lyrics, again, like with, I, like I mentioned with I Am The Walrus, the lyrics to the song don't really make a whole lot of sense, uh, but, you know, I mean, you put anything with a catchy, you put any lyrics, uh, with a catchy melody and beat, you know, I mean, people are gonna love it, and, you know, I love this song, again, despite the fact that the lyrics don't really make a whole lot of sense, <laughs> it's still pretty catchy, and, um, and I just love the guitars, the, you know, the, the, the guitars, the drums, everything in the song's great, I love the, I don't know why, but I love the line, um, a few lines that stick out to me that, uh, that I love are, uh, he shoot, in, in the, I think it's the first, uh, verse, when John's saying he shoots Coca-Cola, um, oh, and also the, uh, the intro and the interlude, uh, you can hear John saying, shoot me, like that, and it, it took me a while till I found out he was saying shoot me, because he's like, shoot me, like that, so it kind of, it kind of just sounds like he's just, you know, just say, like, just doing a random, like, like, I don't even know what, what it sounds like, but it, it kind of sounds like he's just doing a random, uh, just making a random noise with his mouth, but, uh, it wasn't until, like, like, my 20th time listening to the song, I realized, oh, he's saying shoot me, you know, and, and I didn't think to look up the lyrics, I was just listening to the song, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I love the lines, um, yeah, he shoot Coca-Cola, uh, he got feet down below his knee, uh, (laughs) and then, of course, the come together right now over me, you know, I love that song, I mean, I love that um, part in the song, and uh, and I love that line. I don't know why, but I just love the like right when uh, right at the end of verse three, the line "Hold you in his armchair, you can feel his disease." I just love the way it goes along with the beat. Um, but I I love I love the way like yeah I love the way how the verses end and then it leads into the chorus or goes right into the chorus uh, with the guitar and the drums and then how it they kind of just stop right before over me you know, when, when the phrase over me's uttered comes up, I, you know, it just sounds great. And, uh, so yeah, lyrics don't make a whole lot of sense, but you know, they don't have to because they're catchy and you could kind of interpret it any way you want. I kind of interpret the, um, uh, I kind of interpret the song as basically just, um, saying like, oh yeah, the world's kind of weird and doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes, but we, but we should all just come together, uh, you know, because we're all one race, you know, the human race, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm just digging too deep for meaning in a song that doesn't really have any, so, but, but anyway, that's how I feel, so, uh, so, yeah, that was great song, great opening, uh, track two is something, and, um, this was actually, uh, this song, uh, like I said, John song, the first song, uh, John's saying come together. This song, uh, something is sung by, uh, let's see, I believe it was sung by, um, I believe it was sung by Paul McCartney. Um, oh wait, no, my bad. It was, uh, sung by George Harrison. And, um, and it's, it's a good song too. And it's, uh, yeah, basically, it's, um, it's just, it's, it's really good, I, I'm trying to think of what else, I'm trying to think of what to say about it, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it's, it was Lennon's favorite, it was John's favorite song on the album, uh, 
uh, Paul considered it the best song George ever wrote. So that's something. Um, and let's see. Oh, and Frank Sinatra once commented that it's the greatest love song ever written. Um, but yeah, I love the piano on this song. Um, and I love, uh, George's guitar solo is great. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, sorry, I was trying to think of what else to say. Uh, but yeah, it's a good song. And, um, yeah, George, George's vocals on it are great. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a good love song. And I love the line, you know, something in the way she moves attracts me like no other lover or something in the way she woos me. Um, you know, it's, it's just a very nice, slow, melodic, you know, sweet love song. Um, okay, track three, we have Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Uh, this is probably one of my, I mean, again, I like all the songs on this album, but this is probably one of my favorites on the album. Uh, (laughs) just because of the, um, just because of what it's about. Uh, so basically the song is about, it's, it's about a child murderer. It's about a teenage murderer killing people with a hammer. It's the, hence the name Maxwell's Silver Hammer. And basically the song is just about, he asks this, his girl, this girl, uh, his classmate, uh, to, you know, to go out with him to the movies on a date. And then he walks up to her door, opens her door, or he knocks on her door, she opens it, and he just murders her. And there's no, there's no explanation to it. It's just, you know, and as, as it says in the song, Bane, Bane, Maxwell's silver hammer came down upon her head, you know, and it's, and the first time I heard the song, when that came up, it completely caught me off guard, because I'm like, wait, is this about a teenage murderer, <laughs> like, killing people with a hammer? I'm like, it's kind of dark, and and what I love, too, is it's so ironic, because the, the it's so chipper and happy and upbeat, the song, the song, the, the instrumental, the instruments and the, the beat of the song, it's just so happy, and then when you compare it with the lyrics, it's just, you know, it's dark, so I just love the contrast between how happy it sounds versus the dark nature of the lyrics and, and what the song's actually about, but, um, but yeah, this one was sung by Paul, uh, this is Paul's first song on the album, and, um, it was, it was a really good one, and, um, and also, yeah, and, and, and yeah, and then, uh, after he kills the girl, he murders his teacher, and then he, uh, is awaiting trial, and then he ends up murdering the judge before the judge can declare that he's guilty and sentence him to jail, and, um, but yeah, everything about the song's great. I love this song. Um, and I just love that it, I just love what it's about. It's just a, it's just so happy when compared with the lyrics. And, uh, also, although it's interesting because the, the song became infamous in later years because, uh, uh, John Lennon declared he hated it. Um, Ringo and Ringo said it was the worst session ever for them recording the song because apparently it took many, many tries for them to get this right. Um, and what's interesting too, is that, uh, every time, uh, Bane, Bane and Clang Clang are repeated in the song, like every time Maxwell, you know, bashes <laughs> someone's head in with the hammer and the lyrics go Bane, Bane or Clang Clang, you can hear, uh, you can actually hear a hammer hitting it. It's actually, uh, Ringo in the studio was hitting, um, the anvil, well, actually, it's it's uh, most people think it's Ringo. It's either Ringo or Malcolm Evans, who was a roadie and technician for the band. It's still not known to this day whether it was him or Ringo. I'd like to think it's I'd like to think it was Ringo though. Just just to picture him in the studio, just you know, as soon as the as soon as they sing the bang bang, you know, he's just like, oh, there's my cue, you know, <laughs> just hitting the hammer on on the anvil. But um, but yeah, great song, and I love at the end, right when it right when the music you know comes to an end you can hear the a chorus going like silver hammer you know and then you hear the clang clang you know you hear the uh the hammer one more time before the song ends um so yeah great song uh nothing really else about it and uh, there's nothing really else i can say about it just it's a great it's catchy um let's see track 4 we have oh darling uh, this was written by Paul again, and, uh, and he, 
and it, yeah, and it, and again, it was uh, sung by him as well. Uh, John thought he should have sung it because he thought that it was more his style, but uh, nevertheless, he let Paul sing it. Uh, it was written in the doo-wop style, uh, like work by Frank, like contemporary work by Frank Zappa, which uh, do if you don't know, doo-wop is a general is a general is a genre of rhythm and blues music that originated among uh, black youth in the 1940s. Uh, mainly in like big cities like New York and Philadelphia. So, um, and it was, uh, basically, uh, it's kind of, it's another love song. And, uh, it's basically Paul is saying, um, you know, don't leave me. I'll never make it alone. Uh, I'll never do you no harm. Believe me when I tell you, you know, that I'll never do you harm. Um, and it's, it's basically just him saying, oh yeah, don't leave me because, you know, I'm, he's basically pleading with this girl, um, not to leave him. And due to the intense and painful nature of the, of the vocals, uh, Paul (laughs) said that, um, well, Paul, Paul said that when he was recording it, he said he'd make an attempt, uh, each day for several days, you know, to reach like the, the vocals necessary, like, cause he, cause he thought that they didn't sound good enough. He was trying to reach the necessity like he was trying to reach the perfect tone in like you know the 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 way he was singing like the the pleading in his voice and it took several days until he achieved the desired result but uh yeah not much to say about this one it's just another good one i love paul's singing on it like i said like when he's like don't ever leave me alone and, and that's uh, that's not on cue at all <laughs> that's not and that's not that's not even really on the beat but but anyway when he's singing that um, especially like in the, uh, later in the song, um, you know, his voice gets more intense. And like I said, you can hear it sounds like he's like literally pleading with this girl. Yeah. Don't leave me. And, uh, yeah, the drums and everything on it. I really love, uh, right after, uh, the first verse, let's see. I really do love how after the first verse we, um, there's this little uh, breakdown with the guitar and the drums, and it just you know it, it always gets me tapping my foot. I really I really love how that sounds, and um, you know it's just doon 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 do 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 doon 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 do 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 you know it's just it's really catchy, and um, it's yeah it's another good love song, um, so not much else to say about it. Uh, track five, Octopus's Garden. This is Ringo's song, his first song on, and I think his only song on the album. But, you know, they, he got one in, so that's good. Um, basically, the uh, idea for the song came to Ringo when he was on a boat, on this comedian Peter Sellers boat, in 1698. Or, I mean, in 1968, in Sard- Sardinia. Uh, he was on holiday with his family, and um, he temporarily left the Beatles during their recording of the White Album, and uh, he ate uh, he ate squid. Uh, he Well, he ordered fish and chips, but the waiter accidentally gave him squid, and he tasted it, and he's like, huh, that's interesting. And uh, the captain went on to tell him about how octopuses travel along the seabed and, you know, create gardens with the shiny stones and, uh, or the stones and other shiny objects they find. And, um, and he thought, uh, and he thought, oh, hey, that's an interesting, you know, concept for a song. That's an interesting idea. You know, I, I'll give that a try. And George actually helped him write uh, the song. Um, but yeah, he. But George said it's it is strictly Ringo's song. Like that is his song. Um, and it's it was actually only the second song Ringo had ever written, and uh, and he called it lovely. <laughs> that's how he put it. Um, Oh, and Paul McCartney and Paul and George supply backup vocals, and the bubble sounds that you hear during the song, uh, the you know, uh, were created by George, who blew them into a glass of milk using a straw, which I didn't know that. That's that's cool. Um, but yeah, this song's great. It's very upbeat and just very carefree, and you know, uh, kind of silly, but you know, in a in a good way. It's basically just Ringo saying, "Yeah, let's." I kind of want to just live under the sea with my friends because there's no problems under the sea. We'll just hang out with octopuses and, you know, the children can come down here if they want. You know, there's no, there's no stress down here. Everyone can just be, be who they are and and be happy and, 
you know, no harm will come at anyone's way and we can just hang out and be friends. And uh, like I said, considering that he had temporary, that he came up with the idea for the song after temporarily leaving the Beatles after the White Album uh, makes it even sweeter because it's like, oh yeah, so he really does. So there, there wasn't any animosity, I feel like, when he came back. I mean, they're, you know, like they, they kind of put it past them, you know, um, and it shows that they really were, you know, good friends. Uh, okay, track six. Oh yeah, and I love the piano too. Um, during the song, it sounds like an old timey piano you'd hear in a western, like in a saloon, like when they're when they're uh, when you see the piano playing in a saloon in like an old western movie. Uh, it sounds like that type of piano, and I just really love that. And right before it gets to the chorus, I love the the drums right there. I love that. Um, and again, I love Ringo's uh, voice. I think he has a good voice too. Uh, especially considering that he doesn't sing on many of the songs. So, uh, okay, track six, I Want You, parentheses, She's So Heavy. Uh, now, this song is the longest song on the album. Um, and it is, let's see. And uh, he wrote the, uh, John, actually, and this is John singing on the song, um, another John song. He wrote the lyrics for his wife, Yoko Ono, um, and it was a, According to him, it was a direct outpouring of of his all-consuming love for her, um, though it only consists of a mere fourteen words. <laughs> so, but uh, but basically, uh, he he's quoted as saying, "When it gets down to it, uh, when you're drowning, you don't say I would be incredibly pleased if someone would have the foresight to notice me drowning and come and help me. You just scream." and in the song and in he and in she's so heavy i just saying i want you i want you so bad um and apparently uh in classic beatles fashion this song required it took over 30 takes for them to get the song right <laughs> um so that's interesting um but yeah i love the um i love the vocal overdubs the the la- the g- layered guitar the pipe organ um, and then there's this white noise from, uh, this synthesizer called a Moog synthesizer. And, uh, it crescendos for like the last three minutes of the song. So like the song's like seven minutes, 48 seconds, r- roughly eight minutes. So for like three, the last three minutes of the song, the outro is just this white noise from this synthesizer just building up until it just, until it just ultimately ends. Like it, and I love it too, cause it, like I said, it builds up for a good portion of the song, and then right at the, like, right at the very end, it just stops, you know, like, everything, it, the, the noise just ceases, and then it cuts to the next song, um, but yeah, it's a great song, uh, not a whole lot to say about it, I just, I love John's vocals on it, and the drums, like, right when he says, I want you so bad, and then you hear the, doom, 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 you know, the drums, I love the drums on it, um, and you know, I, I in the pipe organ and everything, so it's great. No, nothing else really to say about it. Just it's another good song. Um. So we're coming up on the. Yeah. Okay. So track seven, we have here comes the sun. Uh, this was written. Uh, by George. It's another George song. Uh, written in. Uh, Eric Clapton's garden during a break from from some stressful band business meetings. And, um, it was basically, even though it wasn't released as a single, the song attracted attention and critical praise. Um, and, (laughs) and, uh, the Daily Telegraph's Martin Chilton, uh, was quoted as saying, it's almost impossible not to sing along to it. And I'm guilty of, uh, being one of those people who, um, cannot not sing to it because every time I hear the song, I always, I mean, even if I don't know, like, I, I don't know the entirety of the lyrics, but I always sing the, here comes the sun, do, 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 you know, that part. And then the, and I said, it's all right. You know, I always sing that part because it's, it's just so melodious and just so nice and pleasing to the ears. It just sounds so nice. And it really, and it really is, like I said, with Maxwell's Silver Hammer, it really is an upbeat song and happy, but it's a little more melodious and peaceful than Maxwell's Silver Hammer. And obviously the lyrical content isn't uh, about a murderer. So it's not really con- like, like what I'm saying is the instrument, the instrumentation um, and the, the melody and the beat fit with the lyrics. Um, 
you know, and, and it just makes for a really nice song. And, um, it's basically just, yeah, kind of saying like, Hey, yeah, don't worry everyone, you know, things might look bad now, but the sun's coming out. We'll, we'll get through this, you know, winter's almost over the sun, you know, um, sun's going to come out. We'll all be fine. Just, you know, keep, keep an open mind, keep a, keep an open heart. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through these tough times, you know? And, um, and yeah, it really is kind of an, an inspiring, uplifting song. Um, and just overall, you know, has good vibes all around, very happy feeling or very happy sounding. And, um, again, probably another favorite off the album. So, um, let's see what else. Uh, oh yeah. And also, oh, uh, my bad. Um, no, no, never mind. Okay. Sorry. I, <laughs> I misread that. Okay. Uh, so I, I thought, uh, here comes the sun also had John singing on it, but no, it was just George. Uh, okay. So next song we have track nine, uh, because, or no, not, uh, I'm sorry. Track eight, because, uh, this song was the last song to be recorded for the album. And it was, and it's another John Lennon penned song or another song sung by him. And it was, uh, inspired by Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. And it featured the Beatles distinctive three part vocal harmonies. So, uh, so unfortunately, yeah, Ringo wasn't on this song, but, um, but it was pretty good, um, regardless. Although it would have been kind of cool to hear him sing in the song as well. But um, but it's a very, it's also a very kind of calm, melodious song, uh, and it just sounds really good. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, not too much, you know, lyrically to talk about. But you know, I I like the you know because the world is round, it turns me on. Because the world is round, because the wind is high, it blows my mind. Because the wind is high, and then. After the ver after you know verse one and two the ah you know the like I said the vocal harmony between John Paul and George is great there, um, and and yeah and really throughout the entire song uh, I mean they 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 harmonize really well, and um, and yeah that's about it I mean <laughs> not not a whole lot to say about that one it's just it sounds good, uh, again vocal harmonies on point and um, you know pretty catchy. Uh, and very, very trippy sounding, kind of. Um, oh, and also, uh, there, uh, there was a harpsichord on this one. They played the harp, one of them played the harpsichord on this one, and George played the Moog synthesizer, which is, has shown up a few times throughout the album already. Uh, alright, so, um, I'm, since the, the next few songs, or the, actually the last half of this album is all kind of like one song, in a way, I'm, I'll try to not spend too long talking about each one, especially since, like I said, they all blend into each other and they're not too long, you know. Uh, but basically, yeah, the last half or the back half of this album, uh, which a lot of people know, but it, it is a 16-minute medley of eight short songs. And uh, medley is basically just like a like a compilation. It's kind of like a compilation. Uh, uh, sorry, it's kind of like a compilation of a bunch of different songs but it's like song it's like songs that lead right into each other is basically what they are so uh from yeah from track 9 to uh to the last track track 17 they all they're all the songs just bl- almost like blend yeah they blend right into each other and um and basically the first song from the second half of this album from the from the medley is uh track 9 you never give me your money and um Basically, it's a it's a sweet. It's just like a it's it's a blend of of varying styles. Uh, it ranges. There's a piano led ballad at the start, to um, uh, like these broken like these, are arpe arpeggiated. Nah. Anyway, but these these like broken down guitars at the end. Um, it's a uh, like broken. It's a broken. There the guitars are played like uh their broken chords are playing on guitars. It's a, a broken chord is basically a chord broken into a sequence of notes and they may repeat some of the notes from the chord and span one or more octaves. So, um, but yeah, both George and John provided guitar solos with John playing the solos at the end of the track. Um, 
but yeah, this is a really great song too. Uh, it pays tribute really to the band itself and the internal struggles that they went through, which, uh, ultimately, you know, kind of wounded their, uh, relationship and partnership as a, as a band. Um, but yeah, so, um, yeah, it was a good song. Um, again, not a whole lot to say about it, but, um, but it just sounds really good. And, um, I guess that's it. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see. Sorry if it seems like I don't have a lot to say about some of the songs. It's just, uh, I mean, it, there's not to s- some of them. I have more to say on than others or some, I have more that I want to say, uh, or some of them I have more that I want to say about them, and some and some I don't have much to say at all, except they're good, and uh, just some facts that I'm reading off of Genius and Wikipedia, you know. Um, some of these facts I already knew, some of these I didn't know that I'm just looking up, but, um, but you know, so, so if, uh, the, so if it seems like I, there, I'm talking about more, so, if it seems like I'm talking about one song longer than another, that's why. Um, but the next song, track 10, again, leading right from, g- coming right off of You Never Give Me Your Money, is uh, uh, Sun King. So, basically, Sun King was, uh, was basically about, um, oh, actually, it's inspired, I didn't know this, it was inspired by, directly inspired by Fleetwood Mac's Albatross, which was released a year earlier. Huh, the key and the chords in the intro are the exact same as Fleetwood Mac's Albatross. Hmm. Interesting. Um, oh, and the song was originally called Here Comes the Sun King, uh, but the title was shortened after George brought in the song Here Comes the Sun, which was a, the seventh song on the album. Um, so yeah, so it was um, John... I think, I think John... Uh, Paul and George all seen on this one. It, um, and it sounds really good. Um, yeah, yeah, they all harmonize. They all have a, they all triple harmonize on this song. And, uh, it sounds really great. And, um, but yeah, basically, again, yeah, not, not a whole lot to say about it. Uh, it's basically, um, just another catchy one. And, um, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I guess that's it on that one. Oh yeah, and at the end of the song, the song just stops abruptly, and Ringo, uh, there's a drum fill by Ringo that leads into the next track, Mean Mr. Mustard. Uh, oh yeah, I do, I do like the lines, uh, yeah, he's a dirty old man, (laughs) Mean Mr. Mustard. (laughs) Um, oh wait, no, that's the next one, I'm sorry, I, I lost track of where I was. Um, but yeah, yeah, okay, so yeah, uh, and also the outro in Sun King is uh, Spanish. I just thought that was interesting. Apparently, it, oh, it's a hodgepodge of Spanish, Italian, and Portuguese, not really making any particular sense. Hmm. Okay, sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds like I am the walrus uh, all over again, doesn't it? Uh, but anyway, so yeah, track eleven, coming right off of Sun King, we have Mean Mr. Mustard, which yeah, that's that's the one where it's uh, it's basically just about an old grumpy man. He's a mean old man, and he's a dirty man, and uh, he has a sister named Pam who works in a shop. Um, yeah, and it's it's only like a minute. <laughs> it's a minute and seven seconds, so again, not a whole lot to talk about, but it's just, it's catchy. It was originally considered for inclusion on the White Album, uh, which which was the their 1968 album, uh, but it wasn't recorded um, until uh, the Abbey Road sessions the following year, so... Uh, but yeah, apparently the song originated from a newspaper story about a miserly man who was said to have hidden his money in his rectum. Okay. Huh. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, hmm. Cool. Uh, good to know. <laughs> okay, so the next song, uh, leading off from Mean Mr. Mustard, we have Polythene Pam, um, which this is a good one. I love the acoustic guitar in this one, and then the, the electric guitar kicking in, um, and yeah, it's it's all it's all it's like a five seconds longer than Mean Mr. Mustard, so it's not that much longer. Anyway, it's just a minute and thirteen seconds, but it's uh 
it's real for it being as short as it is it's really catchy and it's probably one of my favorites from not just the back half but from the not just from the medley you know from the back half of of this album but from the whole album as well um and i love in the um the the first two lines in the first verse i love the uh well you should see polythene pam she's so good looking but she looks like a man i know it sounds stupid <laughs> but i just i just uh for some reason i love that that line always cracks me up and then also in verse 2 when he says get a dose of her and jack boots and kilt she's killer diller when she's dressed to the hilt um and i just uh Basically, what that line means is she goes all out when she dresses up. And the expression to the hilt also means in full or done to the limit. And this re- it says this redundancy is used to emphasize how well she dresses. Okay, good to know. <laughs> but yeah, I just I love I just love the I just love the flow in the way in the way that um, in the way that uh, John is singing. And uh, oh yeah, I forgot to mention yeah, this was John singing this song. Um, and I love the guitar, the, 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 you know, the loud strums of the acoustic guitar right before the electric guitar kicks in. Um, just sounds great. Uh, okay. Track 13. She came in through the bathroom window. Um, this was, uh, let's see, it's a cover by a John, John Cocker or Joe Cocker song in 1970. Um, oh wait, no, I'm sorry. He he covered the song. Okay, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. <laughs> My bad. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess basically the song the song is just talking about. Um, I'm not really sure. I guess it's just this girl that. Uh, let's see. I guess it's just this girl that he's seen that uh, just shows up. Uh, through the bathroom window because maybe he doesn't want his parents to find out that she's there. Um, but yeah, it's like two minutes. It's another good one. Um, it's not a whole lot, not, not a whole lot else to say about it, but it, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, oh, okay. So Paul, apparently Paul wrote this about a fan who broke into his house. Uh, and apparently the fan, Diane Ashley, found a ladder in his garden and stuck it up the bathroom window, which he'd left slightly open. And she climbed up and got in. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. Um, and apparently now she's married with four children. So, Okay, so that's what the song's about. Okay, neat. I figured that's, it was either like, oh yeah, about a, uh, a relationship that they just created, you know, specifically for the song, or it might have been a relationship that one of the Beatles was in uh, that they had to keep secret from their parents or something. I don't know. But but yeah, apparently it was about a fan, a crazy fan named Diane, <laughs> who stuck into Paul's house. So it's good to know. Uh, okay, track 14, The Golden Slumbers. Um, basically, this uh, this song begins the is the beginning of the end. This is like the fourth to last song, and it's the beginning of the... of uh, the album's closer, you know, or the, you know, it's the, it's a sign. It's, uh, th- this, this song is a sign that the album is coming to a close or winding down to a close pretty much. Um, it was written by Paul and Paul and John. And, uh, it was sung by Paul himself. And, um, it's basically just, uh, Golden Slumbers is about like singing a lullaby to um seems like to a kid. Um yeah, pretty much. And uh he saw uh basically uh some a fact about this song. Uh, Paul McCartney saw sheet music for the lullaby at his father's home in Liverpool. Um uh but he was unable to read music, so he created his own. Uh so I thought that was kind of neat. Um, hmm, that's neat. I didn't know that. So yeah, so he basically just took the sheet music uh, for the lullaby, yeah, and turned it, created his own music for the lullaby. So, huh, that's cool. 
But yeah, so he couldn't read music, so he's just like, I'll just take the lyrics for this and add my own uh, music to it. So, that's cool. Uh, okay, track 15, Carry That Weight. Um, basically, this one... Um, it's a minute and a half, or a minute and 40 seconds, roughly. And uh, there's not a whole lot to it. Uh, but I do love... Uh, again, this was... Um, I believe, yes, yes, I think, I think they're record, they're all three harmonizing, uh, on this one, uh, yes, yes, yeah, it does, oh, actually, no, all four of them, uh, harmonize and sing, uh, in this song, which is, like I said, is rare, uh, for them all four to have, to be singing in, in one song, so that's pretty cool, um, the middle bridge of the song uh, features uh, trumpets and horns and other brass instruments, an electric guitar, and reprises the beginning of You Never Give Me Your Money, but with slightly different lyrics than that. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's a good song. Um, and, it, like I said, it segues into the second-to-last song, which is the end. And, by the way, I love the fact that uh, the end isn't actually the last song. That does totally seem like a Beatles thing to do, like knowing their sense of humor, uh, <laughs> to have a song called The End and not have it be the last song on the on one of their albums. So, um, But yeah, so this song's two and a half minutes. Um, I love the... the, the and it, it, you know, uh, if this was the last song... Uh, it'd be it'd be a great album closer. It it almost pretty much is the last song because the song that comes after this isn't too long at all. But it's uh, but it regardless, second to last song. It's a great way to like I said, wind down the album, bring it to a close. And I love the drum and guitar solos in this. Uh, after the first verse. Um. Oh, and also this is the only drum solo Ringo ever performed as a Beatle. Uh. He hates just drum solos, and he had to be persuaded to do it. Huh. That's interesting. <laughs> um, oh, and uh, John, Paul, and Harrison each took turns doing guitar solos. And this is the only time in their history that they ever did it on any song, so that's cool. Um, and then if you listen closely, you can hear how the styles change from one to the other. Apparently, the order goes... Paul singing, uh, or playing like a taxman, uh, playing, playing like a taxman style, um, um, guitar riff, and then, uh, Harrison playing the slide, or George playing the slide guitar, similar to his work on his solo album, uh, All Things Must Pass, which didn't come out until the next year, uh, and then John, who's playing a distorted heavy guitar, like in Revolution, and then back again, so, um, and basically, in the context of the song, um, the, this is the Beatles going out on top. It's like their magnum opus. It's proving themselves uh, to be very talented musicians and songwriters. Um, and yeah, so it's another great song. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, and, and so so the last song, song track 17... Uh, Her Majesty, which is, uh, I believe, let's see, 27 seconds. Yep, the shortest song, <laughs> the shortest song ever by them. Um, but it was basically, uh, it was one of the first hidden tracks to ever appear on a record. Um, and basically, it was a snippet in, it, that was excluded from the medley, Abbey Road medley, uh, it was originally between the songs Mean Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pam. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, Paul rightly judged that it didn't fit and told second engineer John Curlander to cut it out and throw it away. Curlander, who had been instructed never to discard anything the Beatles recorded, instead edited it for convenience's sake uh, and put it at the end of the album at the very end of the eight track medley. And, um, and then when Cartney heard it, 
the next day, he's like, oh, I like it. I liked the the effect you put on it. Uh, so yeah, so again, I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about on this song. It's catchy. It's a great, like I said, 30-second, you know, song. Nice uh, album closer. Um, and yeah, like I said, it is the shortest song in their repertoire, clucking in at around 26 seconds. So so really under half a minute. But, um, but yeah, so... So I guess that about do- I guess that just about does it. Um, like I said, I love this album. It's one of their best albums. It might be my favorite album by them. It's kind of hard to say because, like I said, I do love, or I do, I do love Revolver. I do love the White Album. Uh, I know that one gets a little bit more, um, uh, you know, mixed reception because, uh, you know, because the songs a lot of people consider it to be uneven, but I really do enjoy it. Um, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is great. Magical Mystery Tour. And again, I haven't heard every Beatles album, but the ones I've heard have all been great. But this one might be my favorite, uh, just because, like I said, each, you know, the different styles of songs, you know, from blues to rock and pop. And, uh, you know, it just, it all sounds great. All, all the songs sound great. And I love the, like I said, the, the I love that the back half of the album, the last eight songs, wait, um... Yeah, the or the last nine songs are basically just kind of just one long song in a way. Like, it's a 16-minute long song, pretty much. Um, did I say? Yeah, the last nine songs. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just, I love the album. And um, I, I guess that's it, yeah. A great album. If you haven't heard it, I recommend you listen to it. I'm sure uh, a lot of people have heard some of the bigger songs on it, like Come Together and uh, Here Comes the Sun. Um, but yeah, if you've, but you know, some, some, there are some songs on here that I bet a lot of people overlooked, uh, when the album first came out and probably, like I said, a lot of people haven't heard the entire album. So if you haven't, uh, go listen to it. You're missing out. It's a great album. Um, I'd probably give it a nine out of 10, nine and a half, probably. Yeah. Nine out of 10 sounds about right. So, um, so yeah, with that being said, uh, I guess that does it for tonight's episode, and I will see you guys next week for another ranking episode. I will be ranking, uh, well, I won't tell you, it's it's a film series, that's all I'm going to say, because uh, I don't want to spoil what I'm going to do next week, but it's uh, I'll be ranking a film series um, from my least favorite of the franchise to my most favorite of the franchise, so... Uh, Hope you guys have a good weekend, and I will see you guys next week. Take care.